You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. Welcome back. This is Mining Stock Education, and I am your host, Bill Powers. Today, we're going to be speaking about the oil markets. It was a day for the history books yesterday, with oil in the U.S. dropping to negative negative $40.32 per barrel, which I don't know who would have predicted it went that low. However, my guest today is on record, in writing, and on other radio shows predicting that oil in the U.S., would go negative and many people had a hard time conceiving that i even pondered that for for quite a while i'm speaking of chris temple from the nationalinvestor.com chris writes uh, an excellent newsletter he give addresses macro issues and gives you uh, investing ideas tradable ideas and if you go to his website nationalinvestor.com you'll see that he has an oil article right there called oil mageddon and this was published three weeks ago and in writing you can see that he predicted negative oil in the u.s uh, with that being said and you know chris welcome back onto the show and you tell me what do you think about yesterday was this the most uh, meaningful and significant day in the markets that you've experienced in your career well, Bill, thank you. Uh, it, it's certainly one of them, no question about it. Uh, I, you know, when I, when I told people not only that oil would go negative, but the reasons why it would go negative, which really doesn't take rocket science to understand when you understand how the markets work. Of course, I didn't believe, nor did anybody else, that you'd see a negative $40 thing. Uh, now, granted, you need to remember that we were talking about the the current front month, as it's called, May contract for West Texas Intermediate Crude, which expires at the end of the day today. And uh, essentially, you had a situation where when you have such a contract, it, 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 it implies delivery. Someone needs to take delivery, but there's no place to put it. So that means that uh, people that have oil have to essentially pay to have someone to take it off their hands. Uh, already, we're seeing the June contract, which was near $30 a mere 24 hours ago. It has been cut in half. The last I looked, uh, we're recording this, of course, a little after 11 a.m. Eastern, but the last I looked, it was under $15 on a June contract. And barring some surprise, which I won't completely discount the possibility of, I'm saying as well that it's not going to take nearly as long to see the June contract likewise go negative. Uh, little can be done at this point beyond natural market forces and maybe a couple or three months worth of, of this kind of behavior, Bill, to finally wring out enough of the overcapacity, which still exists, and hopefully at the same time as parts of the country limp back toward what used to be normal. We're not going to get back to normal. Don't think we are. But, uh, you know, if, if what has been nearly a 40 percent total decline in demand between motor fuels and aviation fuel, uh, if you we get at least half of that back and the cuts, most of them by attrition that have recently been announced, if they all hold, then maybe by mid to late summer, we have some balance back to the market. But until then, my belief is that there's still more pain to come mid to late summer when we get some balance back in the market are we talking $25 a barrel oil do you have any uh, forecast there well as far as how that would affect the oil price that's going to be dependent on other things you know how the overall market is doing what sentiment is do we think that we're going back 
more rapidly in the right direction or are we still looking over our shoulder to a possible recurrence of this virus in the fall? There's going to be a lot of moving parts to that. I think that we can get back in a half healthy economy by the end of the year to maybe $25 to $30 a barrel. But it's going to take a while still, Bill, in my view, for there to be anything close to what you would call a healthy oil market. The problem here is, and a lot of people misunderstand these inflation and deflation definitions, hyperinflation of credit, which force-fed way too much cheap credit into energy companies, especially in the shale patch, which Jim Chanos recently, and I think correctly so, characterized uh, shale companies as not having business models, but as having accounting scams. There's way too much capacity that was brought about by cheap, irresponsible credit. That needs to be destroyed somehow. Now, the powers that be don't want to let nature take its course, let everybody go bankrupt that should go bankrupt. There's going to be different things the government and the Fed both do to try and soften the blow. But however it comes about, we need to go in the U.S., all else being equal, from our peak production, which was in a neighborhood of 13 million barrels a day, down to probably 8 million barrels a day, give or take a little bit. And if at the same time we can replace half by the end of the year of the demand that's been lost, then maybe we'll be okay. But a lot of people, including the president of the United States, are still totally in denial of a lot of what got us into this mess, which I describe in that article on my website you referred to. And I'll put a link to that article in the show notes for so you can see Chris's uh, thoughts in advance uh, of this crash. Chris, um, a trade I made yesterday was buying some October call options, $5 strike for the USO ETF. I knew some professional traders that were uh, doing that same trade yesterday, so I hopped on board. And then I got some messages from some people saying that was a bad trade because of the contango situation. What are your thoughts on a trade like that? Well, intuitively, it could be rewarding, Bill. Um, un similar to a lot of ETFs that are directional plays on anything, whether it's gold or oil or whatever, your, your timing needs to be pretty close to accurate because what happens over time, you know, you need to get into these ETFs or even calls on these ETFs for, as, as a general rule with the idea that you're going to get out of them in days or maybe a couple weeks. These are not plays on the long-term recovery of oil because you do have destruction of within it's built into the structure of these ETFs, the costs, the, the including the cost to roll forward contracts as they come due from uh, you know out to the, the the next month, for example, where oil is concerned. So if you want to be playing USO right now, especially on a fairly short term basis, you're betting either number one that this afternoon, as early as this afternoon, the Texas Railroad Commission comes out. To, and enforces quotas on Texas producers. The consensus in the market now is against that. The reason being a, a lot of mechanical reasons. I won't take the time to explain right now. But basically, the broader story, Bill, is that the sales pitch is already being made by the industry that, look, we're already being forced to shut in production. Attrition and, and wells that are drying out, we're not replacing them. So we're already embarked on that road. So if, if, for example, there was a surprise and a railroad commission 
went against the consensus and did impose quotas. And you saw the current June contract, which again has been cut in half since 24 hours ago, spiked several dollars and that made people rush into USO. Hell, I'd sell it before the end of the day today if the news came out soon enough. Otherwise, you're hoping that the president is able to get away with doing something to fill up the strategic reserve by taking some oil off the market. There's even talk of paying producers not to produce. Uh, that, that's kind of a stretch right now, even more so than a strategic reserve. But, you know, the, the powers that be are desperate to, again, have a lot of irresponsible lenders and irresponsible companies not have to suffer the consequences of their actions because it would cause too much broader harm to the economy. So we'll see what happens. Uh, inevitably, you're going to get one or more of those events that might put a temporary floor. And then, assuming that happens, Bill, everybody's got to keep their fingers crossed afterwards that the economy does regain some decent momentum instead of continues to languish for many more months. We don't know the answer to that part of it yet. We'll be right back after this word from our sponsor. Silver One Resources is an exploration and development company backed by strategic investors Eric Sprott and SSR Mining. At Silver One's Candelaria Mine Project in Nevada, there is already a historic resource estimated at 127 million ounces of silver, which Silver One is developing and advancing. The company's Phoenix Silver Project, located within the Arizona Silver Belt, is an early stage exploration project on which native silver vein fragments have been discovered near surface. One grab sample assayed an astounding 14,688 ounces per ton. Yes, that's right. Ounces, not grams. Silver One has tremendous exploration potential, is extremely leveraged to the price of silver, and is cashed up and poised to increase shareholder value. Silver One trades in New York under the ticker SLVRF and in Toronto under the ticker SVE. To learn more, go to silverone.com. That's silverone.com. As oil continued to plunge well below the zero yesterday, I got a feeling like, oh no, this is not good uh, because nations go to war over oil. Do you think that the, the the drums of war are beating on a day like yesterday? I mean, could this be signs that war is on the horizon? That's possible. I said many, many weeks ago, even well before I told you that we were going to see this negative oil price and wrote about that, that people didn't understand quite a while back when that first Saudi announcement came out that really tanked the oil price, that despite the stresses the markets already had, that they were going to get into this production war of sorts with Russia, that, that and, and that wasn't getting any attention. And my argument was that that is arguably a bigger macro issue than even this virus and what this virus has done. The governments of the world and of the various states uh, have made the virus situation way worse than it might have been otherwise, way worse. But beyond that, I still believe that the dynamics globally with oil, and I addressed some of it in that article as well, Bill, that, that you're going to post a link to, uh, the average person, the average investor, the average analyst, the average talking head on TV has not thought this through at all. All you get are, are clowns like Jim Cramer on CNBC that are saber-rattling against Saudi Arabia and Russia for destroying the eighth wonder of the world, our shale patch. That's an absolute joke of a narrative to try and sell. But 
you know, again, American hubris and foreign policy mistakes and mistakes over debt, every, every single thing, frankly, that this country has made mistakes on in recent years, politically, geopolitically, financially, it's all, it's all, you know, wrapped up into the oil situation. And so, yes, I'm concerned about a lot of things going forward. You know, one more thing, pardon my rambling here, but this is important. A lot of people have said for years, they've predicted for years, the decline of the U.S. dollars, the globe's reserve currency. Be careful what you wish for. And that has become a bit more possible if we're going to see the oil market continue on its present trajectory. You know, I would I like the idea of the U.S. being energy independent. The president has threatened again to uh, put sanctions on Saudi oil or, or not allow imports of Saudi oil at all. Uh, you know, how that would work is, is beyond me and, and, and more than what we have time for anyway. But yes, uh Pardon this long answer, but there's a whole lot more shoes to drop on this oil situation, how it affects the petrodollar and everything. I saw on social media yesterday, someone post the equation, low oil prices plus a strong gold price equals buy gold miners. Do you agree with that? Long term, yes. I mean, I got ambivalent again several days ago on a gold space itself. Uh, as you know, I'm, I'm probably philosophically more of a gold bug than gold bugs are. But as a practical matter, I'm not. I have to understand what the markets are telling us and try and do the best I can. If I'm correct in the broad market right now, Bill, that we're going to see uh, more of a pullback, which has already started this week, it'll at least keep gold in check. Gold will do less badly, and gold miners should do less badly than things like copper and silver, etc., um, outside of gold, really, the only commodity that I'm excited about right now is uranium. Everything else, I think, uh, has yet to see their final bottoms. And any more you can share about uranium? Uh, we featured a uranium CEO last week on this show, and he's confident that this is the real deal. It's not just another head fake. Do you foresee the uranium price uh, continuing to climb higher? Absolutely, I do, Bill. Uh, it's something where this is a this is a commodity that has already had an eight or nine year long bear market that did already what needed to happen sooner than this and may still happen to some point where oil is concerned. You had a lot of marginal players shaken out. For every one uranium company you got out there that's in existence today, there was probably 10 of them back in 2010 and 11 uh, when it started to unravel. So you've shaken out the companies. You've shaken out a lot of production and production capacity. Kazakhstan has cut production. Cameco has dramatically shuttered production. And they took matters into their own hands, took the hard medicine that the oil industry doesn't want to have to take. And, you know, we, we've seen the low prices, cures low prices thing finally start to play out with the uranium market heading back north. And a good thing about that as opposed to the situation with crude oil, Bill, is that we we are not going to go back for a long time to the peak global demand for crude oil at all. Uh, it's going to be years before we get back to that peak. Uh, even after we bottom, you're going to see a very tepid advance. Yet uranium has got such a hugely bullish demand picture because the whole world still needs electricity. It needs reliable green electricity. 
You've had a lot of environmentalists in recent years come on board, some of them grudgingly, and finally admit, you know what? Yeah, nuclear energy is the cleanest and safest and greenest of all the major sources of electricity in the world. So you've got demand that is built in now to all of these new plants being built all over the world. Heck, even you know, as we talk about oil, it sounds weird in a way. The United Arab Emirates just fired up its first nuclear plant. So this is a this is a technology and energy of the future, and I see nothing but uh, green, you know, clear sailing for uh, uranium going forward. As you know, there's the deflation inflation debate, and I've interviewed a lot of people over the last few weeks since you and I last spoke, and there's been different opinions, and one opinion is that we'll see both at the same time, um, and even if we see deflation across the board, gold will still perform the best because it'll preserve your purchasing power relative to what things cost in the real world. Uh, what are your thoughts here? Gold wins, I agree completely. Gold wins in either scenario. Uh, as we've seen for the last year and a half or so since gold bottomed and started moving back up, uh, I think gold will be the only so-called commodity, and of course it's not just a commodity, we all know that, that will do well in a, 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 an environment of deflation. If we were to get a stagflation type thing, uh, which I see coming in another year or two, what you want to see to have a liquid and healthy economy is gold do well, but kind of trail the field somewhat. You want to see an, an environment, for example, like we had from roughly 2002 until about 2007 or 8, when largely in those days, by China's voracious appetite for everything, Everything was going up. I mean, gold did well and gold miners did well, but copper and uh, iron and, and energy did even better during those days. So that's the that's the difference. You know, in, in a deflation environment, gold's the only thing that does well. In an inflation environment, everything does well with gold kind of trailing the, the field, frankly, because the better action will be in what are now the much more depressed industrial commodities. So we will get to that point, but there's a lot more deflation that has to happen first. Don't forget, and we're running along on time, I apologize. In the next couple of weeks, I'm updating one of my signature presentations of all time called Understanding the Game. And it talks about the nuts and bolts of our fractional reserve system, how debt works, how money works, and how we made a major transition into our very model of how our economy and business cycles work back in the 1980s. And when you understand that, you'll understand how today we need to define inflation and deflation because it's not like it was in the 70s with prices of goods and services. It's all about asset prices. And I'm constantly having friendly arguments and sometimes not so friendly ones with colleagues who are telling me, look at what the Fed is doing. We got hyperinflation coming. So I don't know where the hell you've been for the last 10 years. We've had hyperinflation as, as the Fed and the other central banks blew all these asset bubbles again. Now we're going backwards in deflation, and it takes just about everything with it until they can arrest that. They're going to be more aggressive about it this time than they were last time. So this deflation will all else being equal and sooner. But that is still the watchword for right now, which is why 
industrial stocks, the, the overall stock market, I think even. Uh, it, we, we can't say we're at the bottom yet. There's probably still more pain to come with the damage that's been done to the economy. I absolutely agree. You've been listening to Chris Temple from nationalinvestor.com. If you'd like to reach out to Chris, you can do so through his website. Uh, I believe there's a contact form, and Chris's email is chris at nationalinvestor.com. Chris also has a free uh, mailing list. I encourage you to go over there and enter your email so you can get Chris's latest articles. I always appreciate your insights, Chris. Thanks for coming on the show today. My pleasure. Thank you, Bill. Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10 for 1 returns as there is in small cap and micro cap mining stocks. Concomitant with that, if you don't do the work, or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side, there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too. I just started to study up on mining stocks and I just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really, you could do really, really well or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly. The mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very, very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. Don't be overly confident and just do your work as best you can. Do your very best, but don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited, and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents, but it requires commitment. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on MiningStockEducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.